0: Hey, if you would turn with me to Exodus. You say, hey, where's Exodus? That's the second book in the Old Testament. And uh, we're actually in Exodus chapter 18 uh, this morning. But I I do want to say, last week, uh, my wife's first cousin, childhood friend, closer than a a cousin kind of thing, more of like a sister, Brooke was here. And so uh, both of my wife has... has, uh, developed this uh, sweet friendship with uh, her boss whose name is Brooke as well and uh, uh, so last week they were double dipping on Brooks. We had both Brooks here and, uh, and then I think today Kristen is that correct? So we have basically Alchemy Incorporated here this morning uh, the whole business but uh, we're, we're so glad you're here and we hope you're encouraged And you feel welcomed and loved on. And that goes for everyone that's a visitor here this morning. We welcome you to the Driven Church. We gather in a place like this, you know, to to worship together and and to encourage one another. Because the, the one thing that you and I both know about everyone else in here is that life is tough, right? You know, it's tough for you. Life's tough for the person sitting next to you and the person behind you, in front of you. And so there's a, there's a common need that rests in the hearts of each and every one of us. And that's the need, Michael, to be encouraged and strengthened. And so we gather in a place like this to worship God in, in His goodness. He extends that encouragement to us. Uh, uh, sometimes it's, it's just through His Word and how it speaks to our hearts. Sometimes it's through the kind embrace of a friend that God is using. The gentle, the gentle greeting, the, the smile, just to say, you're home, and you may be coming here for the very first time. I want to say to you this morning, you are home, you are home, and we, we welcome you here this morning, and uh, so if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 18, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at 12 verses, and for the visitor, you think, well, that's not a whole lot. For those of you who are normal here, you're like, 12? Oh my! I was hoping it was going to be a six verse Sunday, and all the, and all of a sudden, all the people that are that are visiting are like, "Oh no! What have I gotten myself into?" Right, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that, you know, you may be asking that in merited. On top of that. But hey, we're, we're going to be going through the, the first 12 verses of Exodus chapter 8. You know, we're doing this study through the book of Exodus. Last week we finished up to, uh, Exodus chapter 17, and you know, Moses and the, and the kids of Israel, we'll call them that, right? Uh, they had come out of Egypt and, and they had been navigating uh, uh, as the, the Lord was leading them. And they had come to a place <coughs> called Rephidim. And in Rephidim, it was the very first place that the the kids of Israel uh, were attacked physically, were attacked. And Moses describes this attack by the Amalekites in Deuteronomy, and he said basically what was happening was the the Amalekites who attacked them uh, had been following them from behind, and those who had grown weary... And worn out and tired. Some translations would even say stragglers, those who have kind of allowed a distance to be created between them and the rest of the body. These people, for days in, you know, days in and days out were being picked off and killed one at a time. Small numbers of people were being killed, basically over and over and over and over again. Well, <clears throat> ultimately what ends up happening. Moses makes a statement to Joshua and he says to Joshua, You go round up some guys from the kids on the block here. You go round them up, and we're going to man an army and we're going to put an end to this thing. That's basically what happens. Enough is enough. And you kind of admire that in Moses being led by God to draw a line in the sand literally and figuratively, figuratively to say, enough of this. This is this is over. Enough of this. So they do that. They they man an army, right? Moses directs Joshua to go out and fight the Amalekites while he, Aaron, and Hur go to the top of the hill where Moses is making intercession. And the scripture tells the account that as long as Moses' hands were raised up and he's making intercession, the children or the kids of Israel were winning the battle, right? But whenever fatigue would set up and he would grow tired and his arms would begin to drop, then they would begin to lose the battle. Well, this apparently happens multiple times to the extent that it is needed for Aaron and her to hold up the arms of Moses. And we talked about how each of us, right? Each of us need people in our lives holding our arms up. Man, life is tough, man. Life will wear you out. And if you don't have people around you who really love you, who are really invested in you, who are really willing to go the distance with you, who are there holding you up, supporting you. Man, you're in for a tough ride, man. I mean, it's a difficult road to hold if you're in it by yourself. And God has never intended any of us be in this by ourselves. Right? right? So it's very important that you have people holding you up. But it's also very important that you're holding others up. This is a reciprocated principle within the body, right? You hold up others, and others hold you up, and ultimately God holds it all together, right? So at the end of the battle, the kids of Israel, they prevail. They prevail. At the end of that chapter, God says to Moses, be sure to document this. And when you document this, he mentions one person with the utmost certainty needs to know about what really happened, and that was Joshua. Why would Joshua need to know? Because Joshua was out there fighting the battle, right? He was engaged, man. He was engaged. He didn't have time to look up on the hill to see what those three old cats, 80 years old and older, what those three old cats were doing on the hill. Man, he had knives at his throat. So the one thing he could not draw a parallel with was the moments in the battle when things were going down, it coincided with the intercession going down. And the moments when the the victory was being won corresponded when the intercession was happening. He couldn't see that. So Moses said, be sure to let Joshua know that this is what really happened because he's going to be fighting these Amalekites in the future. And I wanted Joshua to know that the battle isn't won with a spear and a sword, but the battle is won in intercession and prayer. The battle is won in God's power. And he wanted Joshua to know that. So we closed the chapter, hey, last week. With that one, if you got nothing else, if you got nothing else, it's the fact that the battles you're going to win, Christy, in your life, though it may cost you a physical labor, a, 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 a commitment and a devotion physically, the real battle is being won on the spiritual side of the coin in prayer and intercession. No real battle, no substantial gain is ever made without that, I'm telling you. And we did mention the fact that there will be times in your life that the enemy will concede a victory to your flesh, meaning he will let you think you won the battle with your intellect, with your willpower. He'll let you, he will do that. He will allow you some cushion, some victory in your. And the reason being is he wants you depending on you. Because what he'll do is, man, he'll get you out there in the deep water. You know, you've tread your way out. He'll get you into the deep water where you have confidence in your own ability, confidence in your own flesh, confidence in your own person. He'll get you out there in the deep water, and you'll find out the water's too deep for whatever skill set you've got. And he'll drown you in the deep water. But he'll let you get out there. He'll let you think you can swim in the deep water on your own, Ronnie. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there in the deep water when the reality of our limitations has come to the forefront and we found ourselves crying out to the shore for a a spiritual lifeguard. And by the grace of God, Jesus is always aware. And he can swim in the deep water. And he's retrieved me many times and he's retrieved you many times. But that's who he is. So these are some things we talked about. So let's look where we're at right now. And I, I know some of you who are here, you think, saying, well, that was, that was a sermon, Trent. I mean, that opening was a sermon. My sister was just getting started. I'm sorry, it's just the opening. And I can see the sweat just beating down from her. She's scared to death. But listen, let's, let's, let's turn to Exodus chapter 18. we will try to navigate this for the sake of my young sister uh, relatively faster than normal. She'll know no difference. so if it, you know. Okay, okay, let's look at this. 18, verse 1. We're going to unpack these 12 verses. There's some, there's some stuff in here. It says, Moses' his father-in-law, Jethro. Now listen, this cat, we haven't seen him since chapter 4, verse 18. This cat's been gone. He's sitting back in Midian, right? We haven't seen him in 14 chapters. As a matter of fact, the last words we hear Jethro speaking, who is a priest in Midian, was when Moses came to him and said, "I'm leaving Midian and I'm going back to Egypt," and he says to him, "Shalom." In a sense, he says, "Go in peace, go in peace." So now this is what's happening. Now he he has now re emerged in chapter eighteen. Moses' father-in-law Jethro. The priest of Midian heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, there's a couple of things I need you to know right here, right off the bat, because we've got to establish who he is, what he is, where he's from, and why it matters. Okay? When it says that he's a priest from Midian, the one thing we're going to find out about uh, Jethro is that he's aware of multiple deities, multiple gods. And we find this out later on in a declaration he ultimately makes at the end of this uh, study. He's aware of that. And the reason he's probably aware of that is that, is that when Sarah dies, which is Abraham's wife, Abraham remarries Keturah. Remember that? She, he remarries Keturah in Genesis chapter 25, and he ends up having six sons with Keturah. One of the sons is named Midian, hence the, the, the priest of Midian. That's who it's named after. Now, the one thing that we can assume right off the bat is that he was aware to some degree of who Abraham was and maybe even the covenant of Abraham and and the, the promise of God. The thing that we're also made aware of later in the scripture is that it was probably some type of a hybrid type theology a mixture, a blend of different type of ideologies and theologies and mindsets and whatnot that kind of blended in with the, the God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews. And that kind of fleshes itself out. But he's a priest, so he, he, he has some spiritual grasp on, 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 on religion to some degree. And he also housed Moses for 40 years. So there's probably been, while Moses was there in Midian, hiding out after he had killed an Egyptian servant, he probably got to know more and more with a level of clarity that maybe he hadn't had prior to that about the God of the Hebrews. And so now he's showing back up in chapter 18. It says he shows up because he's heard everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people. The cool thing about this, and I'm I'm saying this in in, in the the company of alchemy, is this. They had no emails. They had no texts. They had no Facebook, no Instagram. And yet God's efforts for Moses and his people spread, man, spread all the way back to Midian. To the extent that Jethro says, it's time for us to make a move. We need to go see what's going on. We've heard these great things that God is doing. And when God is doing legitimate things in the lives of people, I'm telling you, that word travels. It travels just like bad news travels. I'm telling you, when people hear that God is doing so, something legitimate in somebody's lives, man, I'm telling you, it takes root, it spreads. The question that you and I have got to ask this morning, if the influence of God is really on our lives and he's working and fleshing his power out in our lives, what is it that people are hearing about us? Right? Listen, I'm not not tooting my own horn, Jeremiah, because there's nothing to toot, brother. But I will say this. Tim knows this because he was raised with me in a housing project. We were dirt poor. We would argue who was the poorest, but they had a car. I think I edged them out. All right? I mean, but we've had people come into this church, knock on the door, literally, come knock on that little office door on a Sunday morning, having talked to Angie Thomas and said, is this the church that Trent Evans preaches at? Because they've heard. They knew me. They knew what I was like. That's probably something that brought Tim here. When Tim's, Tim, I'm sure Tim was thinking, if God can do something in Trent's crazy life, God must be really actively involved in what's going on out there. Because Trent was a jacked up mess. Right? I mean, that's probably legitimate. And listen, I'm sitting there looking at Tim like, well, he's a jacked up mess. So this is, yeah, we got we the same story. Tim walks into church. I'm like, God must be doing something in his life. He was a jacked up mess. Why is he here? You know, I'm thinking the same thing he's probably thinking. Listen, this just happened a few weeks ago. I I had stopped at the the little Lincoln General store right there in Hodgeville, that large metropolis. Population. On a good day. Not many. That's right. Not many. And I'd stopped and... And, and it, it was around 10 o'clock. It was dark one night. And I stopped and I get gas. And I run into a guy that Ricky and I know. His first name was Johnny. Okay. <laughs> oh, hey, hey. Let's give some grace. All right. And uh, he knows what I'm talking about. Inside joke. You don't need to know Johnny any more than Johnny. And I'm sitting there pumping gas and there's Johnny. And you know what he asked me, Blair. I'm telling you, man, this has happened to me so many times. He said, Trent, what's going on? Raising a housing project with, you know what I'm talking about, Tim. I said, hey, Johnny. He literally says to me, and this has happened to me a thousand times, it seems like. He said, hey, man, are you still preaching? Man, I ain't seen this guy in years. That's the first thing he asked. Are you still preaching? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm still preaching. And in that moment, I can see almost a gasp of, of like, or an exhale. Because I think Ricky in his heart and his mind, there's still hope for him. I think what he is seeing in that moment, it didn't, tra- that's not what he, what he's saying is, is this God power thing, is this Sustainable. Tred, you've been preaching now, you know, longer than you have it. I just want to know, is, uh, does it still hold? Does it still hold? Is the grip still strong? Do I have a chance? That's what he's saying. This isn't anything exclusive to me, each and every one of us when God is expressing himself in our lives in whatever way, shape, or fashion, he's wanting us and the message of his love in and through us to reach people. And if he's wanting it to reach people, it will reach people. But you and I as followers of Jesus, we've got to give them something to reach for. Right? We gotta, we've got to live this thing. We've got to be a conduit, a vessel by which God can flex himself. You know? We've got to be that. And So Jethro hears this. He hears this. And this is what the scripture says. And I want you to get this because there, there's something kind of hidden and sweet in this word, right? It says because he had heard everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people Israel. When the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt Moses didn't bring them out of Egypt did you get that when the Lord brought them out of Egypt the word in the Hebrew for brought is yatsal, and you know what it means it means to break out it means to lead out in the face of resistance It doesn't matter what type of resistance, what type of confinement you have found yourself in in the past. Because what God did for the children of Israel, and he did it in the face of some hostile adversaries. I mean resistant forces. Yet God had purposed to get these kids, his kids, out of that country. And the scripture says that he brought them out. He broke those cats out regardless of the confining nature of the culture or the country or those who are opposed to God. You say to me today, I don't know if I can get out. It doesn't matter what the resistance is like in your life because it is God who does the bringing out. It is God. It doesn't matter about the resistance, the confinement. It's God who does the yasal. You, with, I'm talking jailbreak. Yeah, yeah. The divorce, yeah. There wasn't bars in Egypt strong, tall, or deep enough to keep his kids there when God said after 400 years, it's time to go. Right, yeah. No wonder Jethro said, you know what? I got to get a little closer. I need front row seats to see what's taking place in my boy's life. Because it's his son-in-law. And every father-in-law here knows once that scraggler guy marries your daughter, he's just another son, right? I mean, he may not be worth much, but once he marries her, hey, he's yours. That don't apply to me and Derek. It may apply to some of the rest of you. But this this is Jethro's boy, basically. And so, this is what the scripture says. Now, this ain't, hey, listen, following God's not easy, though. Listen to what it says right here. It says, Now Jethro, Moses' father in law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back along with her two sons. D- did you get that? You know, you know what was going on here. Moses was bringing his family with him to Egypt to deliver them. At some point in this process, he looks at Zipporah, He looks at the two boys. You know what he says to them, Tim? At some point, this has to happen. It ain't safe for you to be here. I'm going in to deep water. I'm sending you back to Midian, to your father. But I do believe with all my heart, when he sent him back, he knew this wasn't going to be the last time I see my family. Because God had promised he's using me to bring these cats out of here. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes everything don't fall your way. Right? You know this. You mean if I'm godly and I'm following Jesus, I don't get ever break in life? No. You don't get ever break in life. As a matter of fact, you may get just as many things broke against you as you had before. The only difference is now you've got the help and the love and the efforts of God working on your behalf in spite of all the breaks you've got my young sister. You mean if I follow God, people may still hurt me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen. But now you got the comfort of God with you. That's the difference. And so Moses sends his family back. So they're coming. They're coming back with her with her father, Jethro. And this is what it says, now this is really interesting because we're going to get a revelation of who Moses was while he was in the desert just by looking at his two sons names here because he has two boys the first son when he first gets to midian he named this is what the scripture says one of whom was named Gershom that's the firstborn son you know what he named you know what Gershom means he names his son and it's a it's a, an expression of what was really going on within him and this is what Gershom basically means it basically means I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. He looks at his wife who gives birth to this beautiful baby boy. And we'll give him that much. All babies are beautiful. I'll, I'll be at the altar at the end of this service, won't Because we know. I've seen some of your babies. Not yours. Your baby's beautiful. But I've seen some of your other babies. And they looked a lot like mine. And... Took a couple of days for it to work out, but but I uh, <laughs> praise God they did though. All right, right, right. And he, he he looks at he looks at this little Gershom. And he basically says, "I feel lost. I'm displaced. I feel like I don't belong. I don't fit. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land." Somewhere in this process, he has a second son. This 40 years he's in this desert. And he has another son. His name is Eliezer. You know what that means? God is my help. God is my help. (laughs) Now, both these kids, born and named over a 40-year period, the circumstances doesn't change. He's still in Midian. He's still herding sheep. But what's changed? that. What's reflected in the names of his children is that his perspective has changed him. He had gone from a place of feeling like a foreigner where he's making his declaration in a foreign land. God is my help. Eliezer. Eliezer. Now, you know, I want to tell you something. When, When it says Eliezer literally means God is my help. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek, right? The Greek Old Testament when they go back, because the New Testament is written in Greek, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but there's the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Whenever they translate the word Eliezer, meaning God is my help, they translate that word into Theo, in the Greek. And you know what that word means? It describes one who runs to a cry for help. Do you know where that word is used at in the New Testament? You remember in the book of Mark in chapter 9 when Jesus, this, this old dad comes up to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I've got this boy. Man, ever since he's a kid, he's been throwing himself in the fire and he's demon-possessed. And I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything for him. So I brought them to you. And Jesus asked the boy's father, well, how long has it been like this? He said, since childhood he's been like this. He's been thrown in and out of the fire and water in efforts to kill him. And he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Listen, we're about to get the Bowie Theo or the Eliezer. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, exclamation mark, exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. When he says, help me, it's both Theo. It's a cry out to one whom he's expecting will run to his aid. Yeah. Eliezer in the Old Testament, he literally says to Jesus, help me and saying in that word i expect you i'm anticipating i know your heart is one to respond to one who is crying out for help and you know what when you read that story that cat was right he's right you know what jesus does Jesus looks at the little boy and he casts out the demon to never return again. The man recognized in Jesus the same heart that Moses recognized in God when he named his son Eliezer, God is my help. Moses knew this generations before. God God had revealed himself to be one who runs to the aid of you and this guy. Listen, if you're going through a tough time, man, if you're going through a tough time and you're wondering how God's going to respond to your cries for help, just turn your spiritual ears towards the ground and you'll hear the pattering of the running feet. It is God's feet. Ready to you. To help you, Ricky. Help you, Angie. Help you, Danny. It's good to know that God still runs to our help. Let's read through this. And Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the desert where he was camped at the mountain of God. <laughs> that would be Mount Sinai, right? You know what's about to happen at Mount Sinai. You know what does happen at Mount Sinai. Yeah. yeah. I guess We get ten little commands. He sent word to Moses. This is his father-in-law. He sends word to Moses. I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two, her two sons. Man, you want to talk about timely encouragement and how God sends encouragement. Sometimes, Brie, what well, seems like just the right time, man, when you feel like the weight of it is so immense that you're going under, and then the encouragement just swoops in and lifts you up out of there. The timely encouragement of God. That's what this is. You see, Moses had just watched a large portion of people, those vulnerable and those worn out and those slacking. He had watched them all die, being picked off. Day after day after day, there was probably funeral processions, burials still taking place, families still mourning. You think that's the place you want to be leading? When you're looking at families that are burying their children, their husbands, their wives, how much praise do you think you're getting for that battle won? In the midst of that heavy responsibility that lay upon his shoulders, the word comes to him. Your dad's here. And he's brought your wife and he's brought... Eliezer <laughs> and Kersham, right, right. Timely. I don't. I don't. I. I remember when uh, Blair and Hillary first started uh, coming to church. I remember the first time I met, I met Blair. Uh, Hillary had been here, and uh, uh, Blair had just come back. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Germany? Were you in Germany? And he had been over there. I remember him telling me this. You know, it was a, a quick conversation, but he was planning on coming home sooner, and then the deployment was extended for some reason. That's correct. Am I not correct? I am. Okay. Hey, I'm, hey I still got a few brain cells. I can remember a few things. Right? And, and I, I remember he, he said, Hey, man, thank you, thank you and the church very much for giving my wife and my family a place to be encouraged in my absence. Right? That's the jest. Listen, many of you, man, have been in the same situation he's been in. Many of us have been in a situation where we've been away from our families for an extended amount of time. And no matter what we're doing in our life, no matter how how great we perceive ourselves to be, whatever level of leadership, man, when you're away from the people that you love, man, it's stinging. It's difficult. And, hey, ask her. Little Ashlyn's gone off to college. Tristan's gone. It's not easy. That's not easy. And sometimes, man, when you get home from a deployment your girls are waiting for you. And I include your wife in that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes words just don't do it justice. When your heart wells up three times larger, because it has shrunk down like the Grinch is three times smaller, right? And you see them, and the encouragement is so real, so alive, so impactful. And the word reaches Moses that they're coming. And this is what the scripture says. So Moses went out to meet the, his father-in-law. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to look at the scripture just, and we're going to unpack it quick, but you want to talk about some normal cats right here? All of a sudden, man, everything gets really normal here. I mean, they start to look like me and you, other than the bowing down and kissing, you know. You know. But... So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, he bowed down, it says humble, and then he kissed him. Now here's the weird part. They asked each other how they'd been. That's straight up. That's straight up. That's not a high priest and a great leader. You know what that is? That's a dad, and that's a son. And they both ask one another half your bed. Then all of a sudden, man, they start to look like they got flesh and bones on, don't they? Isn't that the conversation you would have with those you haven't seen? The embrace, the exchange of affection, and the look into their eyes. Not about all the circumstantial craziness of life. You just want to look at them as a man to his dad, a dad to his son. Say, boy... How you, how you been? Doing a pretty good, Dad. It's, it's been a little tough. But man, seeing you is good. I mean, can you not see that? When you read that, can you not see that? Don't just, just, don't just pour over the scripture. man. Take this stuff in. Read it, man. See what's hidden in this stuff. Flesh, blood, and bones. Real people. And they they make that statement, asking how you have been doing. And let let me just drop this nugget and we'll move on really quick. Sometimes we have to step out of the row in which we we reside in. And we have to step out of performance mode. You know what I'm talking about, Mom? Mom? You know what I'm talking about. Mom, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you got to perform, you got to be at the top of your game. You can't be normal. You're mom. Moms aren't normal. You got to be this. Man, there's times, man, and dad, you know what I'm talking about. You got to be super dad. Whatever job you're doing, whatever position you hold, man, sometimes you just want to crawl out from under that title and just be who you are. And experience in God's rest, His love for you. One of the things that you and I have got to understand, Greg, is that God doesn't love us because of the call on our lives. He calls us because He loves us. Apart from the call, apart, and every one of us are called, apart from the call, God's love is present. Do you think He loves me because I preach? Then what do I do the rest of my life when I lose my voice and are no longer able to articulate the lessons of the scripture? Am I no longer loved? Sometimes we've got to step back and just rest and acknowledge God loves me. It's not an an abandonment of responsibility. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sometimes In the responsibility, you just have to be real. You have to be real. Moses, 80 years old, man. 80 years old. And this is what he says to them. So they go into this tent, right? That's what the scripture says. Hey, man, how you doing? Good, Dad. How you doing? Good, son. Bring in the family. Hey, let's come into my four-bedroom. Finished. Basement. You know, 80 inch. Wide, no, no, let's go into my tent. I just want. But I thought God was doing good things for you. He is. What does that got to do with it? Right? For those of you who think this is what God being good looks like, God being good and favorable for them, hey, that cat living in a tent, man. Think about that one. Wrestle through your theology with that. So Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for for Israel's sake. And what else did he tell them? All the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. (laughs) The power of our testimony, the reach of our lives, the reach of God's work in our life is going to include the difficult things. Sometimes you've got to tell it. Sometimes you gotta say, yeah, man, life has stunk at times. There have been some really difficult moments in my life. That's part of your testimony, the honesty in that. Man, I've gone through some hard things. I've suffered great loss. I've wept over many gaskets. But God has been so faithful. We sometimes act in our lives and we have to defend the integrity and the the reputation of God to hide difficulties from people. A lot of times people go through difficulties and they're never rescued by the body of Christ because they won't won't even divulge the difficulty in which they find themselves in. Because they're trying to protect God's reputation as though God would need us to protect His reputation. Jay, is that not a foolish thought? But it's exercised often. I'm not going to ask Brother Trent if he'd help us financially because if I do, it's going to look like God ain't meeting my needs. I got to save God. And God's given us to give to you. And you sit there hungry, you sit there with your your bills. Your lecture being turned off. This happening, that happening. When God has provided, then all you have to do is humble yourself and acknowledge you need the help of God. This isn't, God hasn't called us to defend him. Not in that sense. So he told his father, hey, God's been faithful to the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good and the bad and the ugly. Honesty just reaches people. You know what I'm talking about? Just... uh, And so we're going to close right here. I know. I'm sorry, my young sister. The scripture says, Jethro rejoiced. Over all the good things the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Mm, I want to be like that too, though. I want to rejoice when I see the good thing God's done through you. Bree, I want to rejoice with you, girl. I want to, you brought that baby in here. I've... Maybe we be that kind of people, but you know, God has called us to a, a different level of rejoicing too. You know? Much like him, I, I want to rejoice too like him. But, but in Philippians chapter four, verse four, the apostle Paul, writing from a Roman prison or a prison in Ephesus, he was in a prison, one or the other, you can argue that with the scholars. He writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Kind of like the same thing that Jethro's doing, over rejoicing. You know, but he's writing that from a prison cell. But you know what he says right there? He doesn't say rejoice about your circumstances. He said, don't rejoice about whether you're getting out tomorrow or you're getting extended. Paul says to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in a person. Not in favorable or unfavorable circumstances, but rejoice in Jesus who is unchangeable. And if we can rejoice in one who is unchangeable, then we can possess joy that's unshakable. And so he rejoices. And then the scripture says that he he says, blessed be the Lord. Right? That's what he says. Barak in the Hebrew. It just means, it just means to go to one's knees in adoration. You can see, man, he's hearing this stuff, man. And he's rejoicing. And now he's blessing the Lord. And then something else happens right here. This is what he says. And this is the revelation of the multiple gods that that were active in his theology or at least his perception. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He says. now I know it. Implying what? Prior to this, he didn't know it. Would I not be right in that assumption? When he makes a declaration, now I know. Forty years of living with Moses... As a shepherd servant in my own home, with all the conversations that we must have had about God, nothing was as persuasive, powerful, and convincing as to see and witness the power of God in your life. You couldn't talk me into that knowledge. You've shown me. Oh, man. I could preach. Girl, I ain't going to do this to you. I could preach that for another hour right there. Don't tell me. Show me. <laughs> and that's what he said. He says, Now, Dwayne, now, I know there's no other God like, like the Lord. Because he did wonders. Not because Moses did wonders, he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against the kids of Israel. Right? Right? So last verse, then Jethro Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came in with all the, now now you almost feel this Baptist lean right here, right? Don't you get a strong Baptist lean right here? Watch what they do. Came together with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal. Right? I mean, this is dinner on the grounds, potluck. Pastor so-and-so, brother Jojo. You know, that's it, right? Right? This is happening every Sunday. And half the church is an eternal. Right? I'm just, it's a joke. If you come from a Baptist church, don't be offended. Nazarene churches have potlucks too. Can I get a name? So is brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, his father-in-law, in God's presence. I'm just gonna close. I don't say. That old cat that made the trip from Midian because he had heard what God was doing. Gets there, he sees this thing, he's rejoicing. He's bowing down with adoration, blessing the Lord, right? And then he makes this declaration. Now I know, now I know. And you know what that leads him to do? What does the scripture say he did? He brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. You know what it led him to do? I heard you. Worship. Worship. At the end of the day, in your life, in my life, everything we're doing for God and for the kingdom, ultimately, ultimately, is to bring people to that same awareness that Jethro had. And for them to experience the same thing that he experienced. And for them to respond the same way he responded with worship. I don't need you to worship me, man. I don't need you to leave here and say, oh, Trent, he's funny. He's, He's funny. He's this, he's that. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need any of that nonsense. You know what I want? I want you to leave here with an illumination, a heightened sense of who God is. And I want the posture of your heart, your soul, your spirit to be one. Not just... Rejoice in not just adoration, not just declaring, but at the end of all those things, for your life to be a life that responds to God in worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, man. That's it. All right, stand with me. Stand with me. for my young sister who's here for the first time this morning, I'm going to place a charge at the feet and the heart and the mouths of every person here. She thinks she got the short sermon or maybe a long sermon, but you know she actually got, a, got the short one really, right? Just don't tell her any difference. She may not come back. Right? Yeah. Listen, God loves you. You know that, don't you, Ben? God loves you. God wants to work through you. God wants to do more in and through you than you could even begin to think or imagine, man. God wants people coming up and saying, man, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your business? How's this thing happening? What is? Man, I'm hearing these things. And then there's that opportunity ultimately to impact people. To bring them to that place of response to God. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's pray this morning. Heads bowed just for a moment. Father, for my brothers and sisters who have gathered here at 100 Hobson Way, on this Sunday, I pray you would love them and encourage them. I pray, oh God, that they would give you a place to exercise your influence in their lives. Oh, that they would know how much they're loved and treasured and valued and esteemed. Oh, how you desire, Lord, to break them out against whatever resistance is in their life. Jailbreaker. My God's a jailbreaker. Jailbreaker. Oh, God, may they they know your love for them. May they rest in that. May they trust you to do in them what is necessary to draw people, not to them, but to you. And so, Father, I just pray as this word that has been shared this morning just kind of settles on the hearts. We're just going to cast it. We're casting it this morning like you would grass seed. We're just casting it. God, make it grow. Give it fertile ground, Lord. To rest on, rest in, to root in. Give it fertile ground, Lord. So, Father, go with us, Lord. Even as we leave this place, this building, this spot, Lord, may these words, this message not leave our hearts or our minds. We bless you, Lord. (laughs) We bless you. We thank you. This This is a good group of people, Lord. You brought brought your children together to worship here. And I bless them, Lord. They are genuinely beautiful people. Enrich their hearts and their minds, Lord. Draw them close to you, I pray. And may we, as Paul said, uh, may we rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again, rejoice. We bless you, Father. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God, in Jesus' name, said amen. 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 God bless you.